Eagles Entertainment. Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. Everything that moves, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. Touchdown! You're listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right of the week, and we're continuing to get you ready for Eagles Washington as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 380. At the top of today's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with my buddy Ben Fennell, where we catch up and share our thoughts on the depleted Washington football team and discuss what we think the Eagles will see this Sunday at Lincoln Financial Field and how, at this stage of the week, this game is a bit tough to predict for a number of reasons. After Chalk Talk, we'll transition to Scouting Report, where we focus in on one of the impact players for this Washington defense and nose tackle, Deron Payne. He has been an absolute terror for them and what his pre-draft projection means spinning that forward into future NFL drafts. Then, to close the show, and faux focus. I chat with someone who knows this Washington team so, so well, and that's Mark Bullock. I wanted to catch up with Mark and get his thoughts on this game, and he knows this Washington team inside and out, so he's able to provide some outstanding analysis. We'll get to that towards the back end of the show. Before we get there, a couple of things I wanted to make sure we hit on. Number one, as always, make sure you go check out our podcast page over at Apple Podcasts. You can leave us a rating, leave us a review. Really appreciate everybody that has done that lately. If you've got a question, we will answer it over there. And again, all you have to do is leave that question in the comment box and we will answer it here on a future episode. Also, while you're over there, check out the Journey to the Draft podcast. We had a big mock draft earlier this week. Make sure you go check that out. Uh, and this week, we've got Jim Nagy from the Senior Bowl. We've got Eric Galco from the Shrine Bowl continuing to talk about all of the top prospects in this 2022 NFL draft. Again, journey to the draft podcast, wherever podcasts can be found before we get to the start of the show. I want to make sure you guys know I caught up with Eagles head coach, Nick Sirianni this week on Eagles game plan. We talked about the team coming out of the bye week, what the team can learn from that week of rest. And also talked about some of the big plays from the first chunk of the season. Let's get to some of the clips from that interview. Well, excited to welcome the Eagles game plan for the first time here on tape study Eagles head coach, Nick Sirianni coach. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, so let's get into a few plays here over the course of the season, and I guess we'll start things off going into the bye week, Coach. Uh, what is it like from your vantage point uh, now for the first time as a head coach going into the bye week? What are, what are the goals as a staff? The goals as a staff is to figure out and, and to kind of dissect what you're doing well and find ways to repeat those things, where your tendencies are on different personnel groupings, on down and distances. And so it's just really self-scouting yourself. You know, what are some of the issues you're having? do a study on any of the sacks, the fumbles, the interceptions, kind of all the negative things that can happen. See if you can clean those things up at all. And so it's just really looking at yourself and what you can do better, what you can continue to do well, and where you have some tendencies. Coach, the other block that I wanted to ask you about, to have that kind of faith in Dallas Goddard, play side to make that base block against a defensive end, not a lot of tight ends that have his athleticism. We saw all the big plays he made in the passing game against the Jets, but to have that faith in him in the run game, I think speaks to his versatility as well. Yeah, for sure. You know, you could argue that's always the worst matchup in the run game, the tight end on a defensive end right there. But we really have a lot of faith in our tight ends, obviously starting with Dallas right there, to be able to win his one-on-one matchups, whether he has has the leverage that he wants or he doesn't. 
Coach, when you see a well-executed play across the board, sound schemes, great execution, uh, what is it like in the film room the next day, just kind of going through it with all those guys? Guys, this is exactly how we want this to look. Yeah, I mean, that's exciting, you know, and the guys see that because you just want them to repeat that action. Um, and so, you know, that's like teach tape stuff right there yeah. with uh, with Quez, how he cleared that thing out, and with Devontae, how he re-stemmed that route. We'll show that clip for, for the rest of my career coaching, uh, just the sense of, hey, this is how a clear out's supposed to look. This is how a over route supposed to look this is how you know etc coach when you talk about adding in whether it's screen game rpos play action passes a lot of that can look the same and trying to marry that to some of your base passes and pace runs uh what are, what are those conversations like do you uh install those on a weekly basis or is that something that uh, the, hey we talked about this back in june july and may yeah, you try to incorporate all those things, the things that, that uh, you think the defense is working to stop, right? And so you want to put seeds of doubt. And just like Devontae put a seed of doubt on the over route right there to Chris Harris, we want to put a seed of doubt in the defensive coordinator's mind, the linebacker's mind of, hey, this looks exactly like this play. And here it comes, you know, because these defensive guys in this league get paid to stop plays. And they spend a lot of their time studying plays, studying things. And so you want to give them a seed of doubt of what they're going to see and then show them something different off of that and that's where you can you can really you can really gain some explosive plays when you when you do that and the guys execute well coach I have one final question you mentioned the the dilemma that opposing offensive coaches have when choosing to slide their protection towards 91 or 97 as an offensive coach how do you kind of handle that because you could talk about hey we can give edge rush help uh, with chips and tight ends and backs you can't necessarily do that as often when you've got one defensive tackle who could take over game much less with two yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, that, like I, like you said there, Fran, you, you can put the backs in position. You can put the tight ends in position to chip and thump a defensive end. And it's harder on the inside. And so, yeah, it is. That's a lot of the times that's the option of like, hey, let's slide to them. Well, you can't slide to both of them, right? And so uh, really hard for an offense. And I'm just, I'm just glad we got two guys like that in the middle uh, playing for us. For that entire segment, be sure to watch the entire Eagles game plan show or check out Tape Study, which will go up on Friday across all Eagles digital channels. Really good stuff there from Coach Sirianni. Eagles game plan, a lot of fun to put together this week. That said, let's get into uh, my conversation with the guy who helps me put together Eagles game plan every week. That's Ben Fennel. It's time for Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. All right, time to dive into this week's matchup as I welcome in Ben Fennell for Chalk Talk. And Ben, uh, Eagles coming out of the bye week, preparing to take on the Washington football team. And I guess before we get into the matchup, just kind of big picture, we take a look at, the, at this team, this Eagles team going into this final four-game stretch, all of them against NFC East opponents, obviously a pivotal four-game sample here. What are you most excited to see from this Eagles team coming out of the bye week after that week of rest, the week of self-scouting? What are you most excited to see from this group down the stretch? Well, I'm excited to see a football team get healthy after a brutal 13 straight weeks sure. of, of football. You know, it's just a, a tough stretch there, but we made it to our 14, uh, week 14 bye week, and we want to get healthy for this last month of the season and four games against division opponents, three at home. I mean, the, uh, the dominoes are lined up for us, and I think it's a great situation to be in considering how the season started. So I want to see the roster get healthy. And then I want to see all the self-scouting bi-week wrinkles, all those play design wrinkles off of our core concepts that we're not only studying our opponent, we're doing a little extra study of ourselves this past week and trying to figure out what we do well. That means other teams are keying that and identifying that. And then where can we kind of variate 
and, you know, have some differentiation to our play designs down the stretch just so we're not as predictable. So this last month of the season could look a little different than we've seen the previous month. Yeah, it's something we heard from Nick Sirianni earlier in the show uh, talking about that exact topic. Now, uh, full disclosure, we were recording this early Wednesday afternoon. Uh, Coach Nick Sirianni just spoke a little bit ago, uh, talked about how you know quarterback unsure at this point uh, if it's going to be Gardner Minshew or Jalen Hurts. Obviously, a lot of uncertainty over on the other sideline with the Washington football team and uh, players continually getting added to the COVID-19 list uh, for that team. And so, you know, we're going to talk about this matchup. Not exactly sure who's in, not exactly sure who's out, but we can talk about the schematics. We can talk about the identity. We can talk about the philosophies for these two teams. And we'll do that through the structure of how we're putting together Eagles game plan this week. And uh, I guess we'll start on uh, the side of the ball that I find to be really intriguing here. The Washington football team offense and, and that run game and everything they've done to be extremely efficient up until last week's game against Dallas going up against this Eagles defense, which has also kind of seen a, a philosophical uh, change, a shift over the last half of the season. So uh, we wanted to focus in on Antonio Gibson uh, and that run game, that outside zone stretch. Uh, and it's something that really stood out to both you and I during our film study of this team. Well, I just think of putting Gibson into that zone scheme really allows him to highlight his traits and his ability. So that's his vision, his patience as a runner, and then his ability to start, stop, and show that explosive gear and have some burst in his run when he puts his foot in the ground. So a lot of these are kind of one-cut type of runs, and he's able to hit the, the cutback lane or show some burst out the front side of runs as well. And he's 220 pounds. So he's a guy that continuously makes the – the pile fall forward and really finish his runs. Well, unfortunately eight fumbles so far in his young career. Yeah. So he's a guy that's been giving the ball up a little bit too much for their liking. So will we see a little bit more Jarrett Patterson mixed in there? We'll see. Yeah, it was something we didn't see him after that final fumble uh, last year. So, or last week, rather, against the Dallas Cowboys. So, we'll see if that's something that impacts him going into this game in terms of his usage. Obviously, you've got Jared Patterson, uh, JD McKissick, not necessarily known as a, uh, a foundation ball carrier, right? But I think when you look overall uh, at this offense, they want to be able to run the football. Uh, things will start there. And it's also the number one play action team in the NFL. You know, we know that Scott Turner, the offensive coordinator, his father, Norv Turner, uh, wherever he had been in the NFL during his reign uh, as a head coach and offensive coordinator, play action was a big part uh, of his of his offenses. And that has certainly carried over uh, to Scott Turner because over the last few years, play action has been a big weapon for this Washington football team. Yeah, and it's where Taylor Heineke really thrives as a passer. With play action, he's 106 quarterback rating. He's right in there with with the who's who of the best quarterbacks in the league without play action, 79 quarterback rating, one of the bigger jumps wow. with play action, without play action. So Great he's number. a guy yep, that likes to establish the run, then let defenses allocate some more resources to stop it and capitalize in the pass game. Maybe give himself a little more separation from that line of scrimmage to see downfield and kind of survey the field. But you stop the run in early downs, you make them one dimensional, you make them go to the straight drop back game. That's not what Washington wants. That's not how Heineke uh, really excels. No, and it's something that uh, he may have to be doing here in this game without one of his top pass catchers. And we'll see. You know, we don't we don't know exactly what where Terry McLaurin is at this point uh, when it comes to the concussion protocol. He left last week's game against Dallas uh, after that head injury on a deep ball downfield. Um, so coming into this game, it might be. Adam Humphreys and De'Ami Brown and DeAndre Carter, Cam Sims. So uh, they'll try and look, that's the thing with play action is that you can create some more defined reads for the quarterback, as you mentioned. Uh, so, you know, that might help some of these guys be able to get open. But McLaren, a huge part of this Washington offense, that would be a, a big, big loss. 
Yeah, obviously he's their go-to target. He's the one they're looking for on third down and down the fields. I think the target discrepancy on their team is McLaurin way out in front, and then uh, everybody's obviously uh, second fiddle to him. So without him in the lineup, does that make Heineke a little bit more balanced in his distribution? Which obviously Terry's deserved the targets. He deserves the looks in the critical situations without him. Does that maybe have a quarterback survey everybody a little bit more? And anytime that star receiver comes out of a team and, you know, it's a young team, that scares me, Fred, because that just is a recipe for a coming out party for a young guy that we don't know yet. So Deami Brown, North Carolina, third round pick, you know, if Terry McLaurin doesn't go, is this going to be his coming out party? If you don't mind just waiting a week or two, so it's not against us for those that introduction to everybody's fantasy teams. Uh, but that's what I think about when I see young teams and their star maybe isn't there. That's an opportunity for a younger guy to kind of come in and contribute. So wait, wait one week, but don't wait two because the Eagles play the Washington football <laughs> right. team two more weeks from now. Uh, but uh, look, as you mentioned, there, there's that tight pass game funnel. I dropped that stat earlier this week. Terry McLaurin, 100 targets. The next guy, next most targeted weapon in the past game, J.D. McKissick with 51. So nearly double the, the number two guy. And it's the same thing at running back with Gibson. He's got 216 carries. The next one after that is McKissick with 48. And so obviously McKissick, that secondary weapon in both the run game and the pass game, but such a tight funnel to both Gibson and McLaren. And so uh, when you look at that loss for, for Washington, that would be big uh, to not have McLaren out there. We'll see uh, as we stand here today. Not yeah, you know, real quick, Grant, before we put that Washington offense to bed, I think a player that both really stood out to us on tape, I just want to give some credit to, how about tight end John Bates? Got him. Yep, no doubt. Rookie out of Boise State, fourth-round pick, a guy that wasn't featured a whole lot in the past game in his college career but did have an athletic profile. But he was a great inline blocker at Boise. I think he showed up to the Senior Bowl and was really competitive as well, too. And he is getting after it in the run game. So he's a guy that kind of embodies a little bit of a Dallas Goddard type of trajectory and ability and size and strength and run blocking ability. They like to move him around the formation. He'll block at the point. He'll block on the move. John Bates, big 87. Again, let's not have his coming out party in the past game this week, but he's a guy that gets after it in the run game. I don't want to say he's George Kittle, but it's a similar kind of profile from a George Kittle standpoint in that he was not utilized in the past game, uh, was a dominant blocker, and Kittle was a day three pick that obviously has emerged as uh, arguably the number one tight end in the NFL. Uh, look out for John Bates as a guy moving forward. Uh, let's go over to the other side of the football, as you mentioned. And I think this is a really fun matchup as well. This Eagles offense, namely the run game, going up against this Washington defense and that run defense. They're one of the, they're one of the top run defenses in the NFL. Uh, they do some good things up front. Now, as we sit here today, again, as I alluded to earlier, uh, it's early in the week, but Jonathan Allen uh, on the COVID list, Matt Ioannidis on the COVID list, nothing yet for Deron Payne. Uh, and we'll see with the, with the rest of that group, Tim Settle, I believe also, it, I believe Tim Settle was also uh, on the COVID list. And then at defensive end, they're extremely banged up. So I think when you look at this D line, uh, and that's something we'll get into a little bit later with Mark, but this D line, uh, Look, they might be banged up, but they do some good things from a front standpoint that uh, could try and negate some of the things the Eagles do well in the run game. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, they're already missing uh, their bookends and uh, Chase Young and Montez Sweat. So they've already been working with kind of a, a half deck and now all the COVID uh, as well. I'm looking at a roster page right now where the COVIDs are lit up and their roster is a Christmas tree with, you know, ends and tackles and linebackers all yeah. uh, infected at the moment. But it's the world we live in and it's a day to day yeah. thing. So. Uh, but Washington schematically up front is really interesting because they like those reduced fronts. They like the bare fronts, a lot of five-man fronts where they're covering up a lot of offensive linemen. 
They are stout. They are more than comfortable with playing four and five defensive tackles at times, which a lot of times their ends are very heavy and thick. They look like tackles at times. But this is a different defensive front scheme than we've seen of late. We haven't seen a lot of bare fronts. We haven't even seen a lot of odd fronts where Jason Kelsey's covered up. So that limits some ability and some run wrinkles to do things. Limits your ability to double team certain players. Limits your ability to pull certain players in the run game. So I'm really interested to see not only do they have some really good players individually and like Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen and Settle, who's turned into a really nice pro, but schematically creates some issues as well. So I think it's going to be a really interesting formula. They've had a bit of a revolving door at linebacker with Holcomb and the rookie Jameen Davis and trying to work in some other guys there as well. Sometimes it's a 5-1 type of front with a linebacker free on the second level. Sometimes they go to a sub-package 4-2. So it's a lot of different styles up front. But I know Nick Sirianni's been watching that for two weeks, and I know they're going to have some wrinkles of their own. And anytime teams are starting to bolster up against the run of the Eagles, the Eagles have an answer for it. So whether you want to add an extra in the box and all of a sudden we're going to option a player and even the numbers out, or maybe you load up the box and we're going to throw it out to the perimeter for a wide receiver screen. It seems like we always have an ebb and flow to how defenses want to attack us. I was glad that you you got to that point because I was actually asked by a listener uh, just this morning about, because we talked about this a little bit with Greg the other night on the pod and a listener reached out and said, well, you talked about some of the things that those fronts do against the run game, but what are the answers for that? And, and you brought up a couple of them, obviously if Jalen Hurts plays, uh, having the quarterback run element, that does kind of change things a little bit, right? But then the other thing is what, what are some of the fronts that can work or what are some of the run looks that can work against the bare front? Uh, I think, look, you're, there are going to be some certain looks that, uh, are advantageous for say like a wham play right and that's where you start getting some of those favorable angles uh downhill some of those pin pool schemes can be a little bit more difficult as you mentioned because you've got uh, a bunch of those interior guys all kind of all covered up and, and so that's going to limit who can get out as pullers but uh the eagles if you're going to run some of those essentially it becomes hat on a hat so you're you have to find ways where you're going to run run schemes that go hat on a hat uh and that's one of the things where you see with trap plays, wham plays, get those guys downhill. Uh, that could be something to watch, especially uh, if it is Gardner Minshew and not Jalen Hurts and the QB run game uh, isn't as big of a deal. You talked about the RPO game, the wide receiver screens. That's something uh, to watch as well as an extension off of that. But uh, it will be very interesting to see. Look, we're not going to know exactly who's playing, who's in, who's out until we get to Sunday. But uh, to me, that was one of the really interesting matchups here in this one. And then another big one as well is the fact that Washington so, so heavy lean towards zone coverage since their bye week in week nine. Uh, They're playing less cover one, less man coverage than anybody in the NFL. They don't major in cover four or cover three or cover two or cover six. They do a little bit of everything. They're like the top six or seven in the league uh, in all of those coverages. So that means they're really mixing and matching, and you just got to be ready to be able to handle all of those different zone coverages uh, depending on situation. Yeah, and I think where that kind of comes into our favor and not into our favor, zone coverage Eyes in the backfield, eyes on the quarterback. Suddenly those scrambles are not as available for Jalen Hurts. Good point. So man coverage, guys are turning and running, which we had seen in the Denver game and the New Orleans game that on third and five, everybody turns and runs. Jalen's just going to escape and take the free real estate. This week, a lot more eyeballs on him. So he might have to take the free underneath completions when they're there. It may not be exciting to take the three-yard throw on third and five, But if you get it out quickly and give that guy a chance to get up the field, that's where the game then takes off after the catch. Who's going to make those 
30 yards and, you know, break a tackle after the catch. Jalen's going to have to be patient with that zone coverage. They're going to protect deep. They're going to have eyes on them. Get that ball out and don't be too greedy this week. I do like the fact, too, that when you look at some of the successes that the Eagles have had in the from the passing game standpoint, uh, what have we seen? We've seen a lot of well, well-defined well reads off play action. Uh, we've seen a lot of these three-level stretch concepts, and, and those things tend to be really good against zone coverage where you're high-lowing a defender, you're putting a zone defender uh, in a bind underneath or at the intermediate area. Uh, that's something where we've seen Jalen have some success in the pass game. But – you have to be able to execute those plays, as you mentioned. And so that will be big uh, to watch here in this game. Um, you've already dropped a couple of really good numbers. I love that one about Taylor Heineke earlier. Uh, is there another number that really stands out to you uh, that, uh, coming into this game, looking at all the different metrics? Well, certainly a hat tip to you for your metric on them going from man coverage to zone coverage, because it wasn't just a slight flipping. It was literally like a worst to first type of yeah. uh, rotation. Right now, they are playing the most zone coverage in the NFL, the least man-to-man. So I thought that was a really cool stat. A couple other ones that are interesting, Jalen Hurts scrambling the most out of quarterbacks. Taylor Heineke isn't far behind. He is the fourth most scrambles as well. So he's a quarterback as well. Maybe a little bit different than some of the guys we've seen, the Trevor Simeons, the Teddy Bridgewaters of the world. Even Justin Herbert was picking us apart from the pocket. He's going to run around a little bit more. So you got to be a little bit tighter in your coverage late in the down, a little bit tighter with your pass rush lanes late in the down. They're going to get tired in the fourth quarter. This guy makes you run around a little bit. He's a bit of a gamer, as we all know, when that Bucks playoff game nearly knocked him off doing exactly that, running around and making plays happen. But they are a young team, and they're going to put the ball in harm's way. I already talked about those fumbles from Gibson. 19 fumbles as a team this year, the second most. Lost nine of them. 22 turnovers in total, the seventh most from that Washington football team. And I think we're turning on the turnover juice a little bit here in Philadelphia. So we've been punching at that ball for months here out in the practice field, starting to yield the results. Well, this is that formula. Washington gives it up. Let's get after that ball and get the ball back for the offense. That's the thing is like, you know, you'll see fumble luck as a, as kind of a, a discussion point when it comes to offenses. Like, oh, you know, uh, we've lost six fumbles this year. We've only put it on the ground seven times. We've lost six. That's, that's kind of a tough break. And you expect that to kind of re- regress back to the mean. This is a team that puts the ball on the ground a lot. And so we're just from sheer volume. That's not necessarily a luck thing. That's a, they're not taking care of the football. So you've got to find ways to be able to capitalize on that. Uh, I love the note about Heineke as well. Um, I think it's kind of similar to, to, uh, to Gardner Minshew in a lot of ways in terms of, uh, ways that he's going to try and, and uh, be able to attack opposing defenses. And so uh, just something to keep an eye on here in this game, as long as uh, Heineke can go, of course, obviously he's nursing a couple ailments as well going into this one uh, real quick. Let's get into a, a matchup that matters. I think uh, there's a few in this game. I'll go to you first. Which one do you like? Well, individually, always Fletcher Cox, Brandon Scherf. I hope they're both healthy, ready to go. That's always a premier matchup. Oh, a one, but yeah. from a coaching perspective off the bye week is Nick Sirianni against Jack Del Rio and that defense. Because this Washington defense, we kind of talked about them schematically, some really good individuals like Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen. They are a stout defensive team, particularly against the run. They don't allow many explosive runs, actually the fifth fewest 10-yard runs. Number one team in allowing rushing yards after contact. Fourth fewest missed tackles. This is a team that rallies to the ball and rarely lets those ball carriers get loose once they get there. Now, all, now the, the caveat to that, Fran, we happen to be a pretty good team in all those categories ourselves as a running team. So, you know, we're, you know, top 10 and, you know, nearly every one of those categories, if not first in yards and per attempt and first down. So I think it's going to be a really fun mix of styles in there there as well. So good chess match with Nick Sirianni and Jack Doria. 
I love that. And kind of along those lines, uh, I think an interesting one is Jason Kelsey, who is on track to play, uh, according to Nick Sirianni today. Uh, not 100% sure, but are they on track to be able to play uh, after that injury that he suffered against the Jets a couple weeks ago, uh, going up against Deron Payne, as long as he's healthy and in this one. And I think when you look at Kelsey against Payne, Payne is playing so, so well right now. Uh, we're going to talk about him, actually, in our upcoming segment here, in our scouting report. But I think it's a really important matchup. Payne, uh, especially if Allen doesn't go, you would argue maybe the, the best player on that defense for Washington. And for more on Teron Payne, let's now transition to that segment. It's time for Scouting Report. Hey, Eagles fans, get ready for the game each Sunday with an exclusive look at Eagles pregame warm-ups brought to you live each week. When you join myself, Amy Campbell, and Eagles insider Dave Spadaro on the kickoff show presented by Exalta, we provide Eagles-focused analysis, late-breaking news, and the team perspective that you cannot get anywhere else. The kickoff show presented by Exalta can be seen live 50 minutes before kickoff on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, and the team's social media channels. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, Ben, let's dig uh, back into our notes here uh, from a few years back on Deron Payne. And we've touched on him a couple times here over the last few years. Obviously, the Eagles play Washington twice a year, so we have plenty of opportunities to talk about Payne. But interesting to kind of revisit this, especially after we've seen the way that he has played over the last few weeks. Uh, let's get back to your notes on Deron Payne, a former first-round pick out of Alabama just uh, what four, four years ago at this point. Yeah, diving back to the 2018 NFL draft where he was a first-round pick. Just a shade over 6'2", 311 pounds, ran an impressive 4'9", 40. So this is a guy that was stout, heavy, maybe not super long or tall, but had some quick-footed uh, you know, aspect to him as well. And I feel like you saw that flash with him at Alabama from 2015 to 2017. Actually didn't miss a game his last three seasons, which is really impressive being a nose tackle in there and taking a beating, but was great against double teams. Was that kind of proverbial block eater, uh, nose tackle, one tech, very stout, strong, heavy handed. But the unique thing with him is he can also get skinny in the gaps. He had a one step quickness explosion to him, which Nick Saban doesn't always allow his defensive lineman to tap into. You have to read run to pass a lot of times to that Alabama front, which means you square stance, you lock out, you read the backfield. And then if it's a, a pass play, you get up the field. But every now and then you got to see him fly up the field like we saw in that Georgia National Championship game, friend, where he had a career high eight quarterback pressures right on the doorstep of the season ending. And that's what I really think excelled his stock uh, heading into, obviously, the combine, the interviews, the workouts, into the draft. We knew he was a stout run plugger as Many Alabama defensive tackles are like Jerron Reed and Ashawn Robinson, but he separated himself in that performance against Georgia by getting after Jake Fromm and showing he can affect the passer on third downs. Not to mention a lot of range he showed, making plays to the hashes, great character kid, good off-field personality, a couple fun offensive contributions as well, like being a fullback or even catching a touchdown out on the goal line. Yep. And, you know, I think just showing that on the doorstep of ending his college career of, hey, I can rush the passer too, which everybody is wondering with these nose tackles. And I feel like that's what kind of put him as a top end of the first round solidified prospect. So, um, yeah, what do you got on him? 
Well, to me, I think it's an interesting discussion, especially when uh, you talk about defensive tackles and their roles, and you talked about some of the value uh, discrepancies when it's, uh, well, is this guy's an elite run defender versus this guy can get after the quarterback? And there's always going to be a little bit of a give and take there. But you, know, you remember back to that class and who were the other top prospects? It was Vita Vea, who went, uh, I believe, two or three picks ahead of him. And then Maurice Hurst, who he ended up dropping because of the, uh, because of the medical issue. He ended up dropping like the, the fourth or fifth round. Um, this turned into an okay player, but he's on his second team. So Maurice Hurst drops out. We've got Payne and Vea there at the top of that draft. And uh, there was a lot of talk. Who's the best one? Vea was elite against the run and Payne also very, very strong against the run. But I think when you look at Payne and one of the reasons why I was so high on him was that he was, it's almost like a five tool player in baseball all the different ways that you want a defensive tackle to be able to be effective, whether you're talking run or pass, this guy was stout. He was powerful. He was quick. Like you mentioned, he can get skinny and get through gaps. He had a great motor. You just start checking off boxes and Payne did all of that. And so uh, to me, I think that you kind of get into that discussion of, okay, would you rather have an A plus run defender in Vea and maybe he's a, a B minus as a pass rusher, or would you rather have, the guy who's maybe A minus and B plus across the board in pain. Uh, and I think that that was a, a really kind of interesting discussion. I think we're going to continue having that uh, when you look at this draft class and not to get too much into what we talk about over in journey to the draft, but I think it's an interesting discussion when you spin that really to every single draft class and you're trying to stack these guys uh, at that position in, in particular. And I think it's an interesting class to really step back from collectively because while pain and Vita Vea may be the, you know, on the billboard for the class. It's an interesting study of nose tackles in general because you had Derek Nottie go in the third round. You had Tim Settle go in the fifth round. You had guys like Tyler Lancaster and Puna Ford, by the way, the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year, Puna Ford. I couldn't get a combine invite because he's 5'11". Undrafted. Undrafted. Yep. Those four, Tim Settle, Lancaster, Nottie, Puna Ford, have been mainstays with their teams since they've, since they've joined the league. But on all different tiers of the draft, you yes. have all really good nose tackles. And I just love studying the positional value and when you want to pull the trigger on these types. And there's some teams that say, a run-plugging nose tackle, we are not drafting one. We'll get them an undrafted free agent and a priority free agent. There's some that say, we are not taking one the first round if he can't get after the passer. And then, you know, I just feel like there's really productive players later in the draft that fall for a variety of reasons. And even like Harrison Phillips in there, you know, has been a really good player for the Buffalo Bills. So uh, kind of interesting study. And then Taven Bryan, the other first rounder, has been kind of a disappointment for the Jags. So sure. I, I like studying kind of where guys go and what the teams have gotten out of them. Yeah, it's one of the. I think it's one of the more interesting parts uh, of having these discussions on a weekly basis. And obviously, look, like I said, pain. He could be the best player on the field when Washington takes the field on Sunday. And that's no knock on uh, any of those other players. Payne is just that impactful uh, and has been that impressive watching him on film. And so I think that goes back to his days at Alabama. Ben, uh, we'll be breaking it all down later uh, later next week uh, here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Make sure you go check out Ben and I's discussion here on the Journey to the Draft podcast. Not just the one that's about to drop this week, but also the one we did earlier this week. Myself, Ben, Dane, Eric at home did a full round one mock draft. So you want to make sure you go check that out. Get a sense of who the top players are in college football as we get ready for next April's draft over on the Journey of the Draft podcast, wherever podcasts can be found. 
Great stuff from Ben, who you can follow on Twitter, just like I do, at Ben Fennel underscore NFL. And while you're at it, I'm at EaglesXOs. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce here with Eagles Entertainment. You know how much I appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on all forms of social media. That is one way to support the show. But the best way is to go on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, leave us a rating and leave us a comment. I want to give a shout out today to someone who did exactly that. Dennis Powers left a five-star review with a great comment saying, I always enjoy the outstanding analysis by Fran Duffy and all of his guests, especially now that my wife and I are living in enemy territory of Mesquite, Texas. Thank you so much and keep up the great work from Dennis. Dennis Powers, thanks so much for the for the review. Thanks so much for the comment. Hope you guys are uh, uh, enjoying as much of your Eagles content as you can down there in enemy territory. Thanks so much for the review. Again, that is the best way to throw us your support. Shout out to Dennis for doing exactly that. Let's wrap up the show with some faux focus. I told you earlier, I caught up with Mark Bullock. Uh, does outstanding work from an X's and O's standpoint covering this Washington football team. Let's get to it now in faux focus. What's this matchup look like from the other side? Time to find out in full focus. All right, well, excited to welcome in this week here on Faux Focus, Mark Bullock, who has done a, long, a really good job for a long time covering this Washington football team. You could follow him on Twitter at Mark Bullock NFL. You can check out his Substack at markbullock.substack.com. Some great All-22 analysis of uh, one of the Eagles' biggest rivals. Mark, thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Uh, of course. Thank you for uh, having me. All right, so let's get into uh, into this matchup. And uh, as I always do, I'm going to ask you to put on your offensive coordinator hat. You are Scott Turner here for this question. What is it that gives you the, the most confidence going into this matchup? What is the biggest strength for this Washington football team on that side of the football going into this game against the Eagles? Uh, definitely since the bye week, it's been the run game. Um, they struggled with Dallas uh, this week, but uh, in the four games before that, in that four-game winning streak that they had, um, it's been a very strong uh, suit of theirs um, collectively, both with the offensive line and with the running backs. Um, the interior offensive line, particularly with, with Brandon Sheriff at right guard and Eric Flowers at left guard, um, they, they've been generating a lot of movement up front um, and, and in zone runs, especially outside zone runs, but some inside zone stuff as well. They, they've been moving those interior defenders quite a bit, um, and, and that's created some uh, some pretty clear lanes for Antonio Gibson to to make one cut and get vertical. Um, and, and they like using those athletic guys on perimeter runs to to kind of pull the uh, sheriff or a flowers to the edge and. Um, and block the the smaller defensive backs and try to try to get Gibson on the edge as well. Um, so that run scheme's kind of been what they've they've been building the offense off over the last few weeks. Um, they've not broken off a, a, a really long forty or fifty yard touchdown yet, but they've um, they've certainly been pretty consistent and they've been able to pick up three, four, five, six-yard carries and keep themselves ahead of the chains. Um, and, and by doing that, they, they've been able to sustain drives and, and keep Heineke from having to take too many risks on third and longs and what have you. So um, I, I think the um, the ground game uh, with, with those interior linemen and Gibson is probably what they'll be looking as the um, the strength of that offense. Yeah, I mean, we, we've seen here in Philadelphia what the run game can do for the, the passing attack in terms of making it more efficient. Uh, I know over that four-week stretch before this game against Dallas, uh, Heineke was leading one of the most efficient offenses in that previous month. So I think when you speak about the run game and the strength of this football team, all of that matches up. Uh, what's particularly impressive about that is that they're doing this with some of the mixing and matching they've had to do along the offensive line. You know, losing Sam Cosby, losing Chase Roulier. Uh, it sounds like Tyler Larson uh, got injured uh, here 
against the Dallas Cowboys, right? So uh, they're going to be on their third center. I don't know if you've got insight into what that looks like here moving forward, but uh, just the, the fact that Washington has been able to still kind of keep this train rolling uh, despite having some of those injuries up front. Yeah, it's kind of been incredible. Um, as you say, there's been a lot of turnover with Cosme at right tackle. Cornelius Lucas has stepped in and, and kind of not missed a beat. Um, they, they had Brandon Sheriff miss a, a bit of time at right guard and Wes Schweitz has stepped in and, and didn't miss a beat. And then Sheriff came back. Um, and as you say, Rudy went down and, and Sheriff played, uh, sorry, Schweitzer played some center. And then he went down and Larson came in and he's now gone down. So it's Keith Ishmael is, is their fourth center um, at, at, at center now. But um, he he played a little bit last week and looked okay. So um, and he's another kind of smaller and athletic center. So I would I'd expect them to continue with that athletic kind of zone scheme and, and perimeter run. So um, it, it's been very surprising to see just how much turnover there's been on the offensive line, but still been able to be productive. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I think we'll, we'll probably see Keith Ishmael at, at center. Um, and, um, you know, hopefully he'll, he'll hold up. Okay. But, um, he's a little bit smaller than the, than the rest of the group. It kind of stands out when you see six foot seven guys on the edge and sheriff at six foot five. And, and then suddenly you get this six foot two center and it's big, big, small, big, big kind of thing. But, you know, it's, um, it, it'll be interesting to see. Um, and, and certainly they, they, whoever's come in has not missed a beat so far. Yeah, and Ishmael, very, very athletic. Going back to his days at San Diego State, uh, that's what always kind of stood out to me on film uh, with that kid. And you've seen it when he's played uh, here for Washington. Uh, let's go to the other side of the football. I'll ask you to put on your Jack Del Rio hat here. Uh, what is the biggest strength of this defense uh, now coming into this game on Sunday? Yeah, well, it, it largely depends on who's available to them. Sure. Um, right. Yeah, the, the defensive line is obviously the strength of, of, of the entire team, essentially, when, when it's healthy. But we know Chase Young's done for the year. Montez Sweat has missed the last few weeks with a broken jaw, um, though he's back from that, but now has COVID or is on the COVID list. Um, and Jonathan Allen, a, a defensive tackle, went on the COVID list this week after testing positive. Um, and, you know, the backup defensive ends, Casey Tuho and James Smith-Williams, those guys missed the Cowboys game being on the COVID list as well. Um, so it will largely depend on which of those guys are available, um, if any. Um, it, it sounded like they're optimistic that both John Allen and, and Montez Sweat could be available. Um, and if that's the case, Washington will be feel very good about their front um, because they've managed to get by without both Sweat and Young on the edge um, with, with Jonathan Allen dominating inside and, and uh, Deron Payne coming on strongly in recent weeks and, and Matt Ioannidis in there as well. Um, they, they've got some some really good interior guys um, that both have been good in in both against the run and obviously as pass rushers too. Um, and Jonathan Allen's really stepped up and, and become one of the top tier defensive tackles in football this year, in my opinion, at least. So um, if he's available, I think that that defensive front will, will be the strength of the, of the team. Yeah, I mean, Allen and Payne uh, inside have been game wreckers at certain points throughout the course of the season. I, I do want to follow up and ask you about Montez Sweat, uh, a former first-round pick. Um, you know, I think when you look at some of the metrics out there, you know, the, the pass rush win, win rate and things of that nature, haven't always been kind to him um, from this year. What have you seen from him uh, on film studying this team week after week? Yeah, they. Um, he, he was kind of a guy that I, I thought would be a little bit of a developer. Um, he was kind of a high-athlete. Uh, traits kind of guy that, that didn't necessarily have the pass rush production to, to back it up. Um, and that's kind of been what he's been so far in the NFL. He, he's been a, a very athletic guy. He's been an, a very good run defender and he's blown up things that are like screens and, and bubble screens to the, to the edge to his side. Um, but 
he he hasn't necessarily put it all together as a pass rusher yet. Um, now this year he he started off okay, but they in general the defensive line were kind of a bit sloppy and kind of I think Washington felt like we've just got four guys that are going to beat your four guys. Go out there and prove it. And and they didn't rush with any kind of coordination. Um, and, and after the first few weeks, they started to get a little bit more coordinated and. And Sweat was a little bit more effective with running stunts with the likes of Payne and Allen inside. And, and so he was starting to get a little bit more effective, but um, obviously he, he had his, uh, his broken jaw, um, which has kept him out. And, and now the COVID um, situation kept him out last week. So we'll, uh, we'll see if he's available this week. And then go to the other side of the coin here. If you're Ron Rivera, you're the head coach, you're looking at this game from both sides. Uh, what is the biggest concern for this Washington football team going into Sunday's matchup against the Eagles? Uh, I, I think it would be quarterback run schemes. Uh, Washington's run defense in general has been has been pretty good. Uh, I think they average less than 100 yards per, per game allowed on, on the ground. Um, but but when quarterbacks become involved in, in the run schemes, they've been pretty bad. Um, and I think you only have to, to point to Daniel Jones with the Giants in week two. He um, he had 95 yards on, on nine carries with, with read option runs. So uh, and he had a, a big long touchdown that I think was cancelled out as well. Um, so you, you know, with a, a quarterback that can run, that always seems to give Washington issues, and um, I think that would be the the biggest threat to them this week. And then lastly, the, the most important matchup uh, on Sunday. If there's an individual matchup or just one fo- you know facet of the game uh, that you think stands out to you most, it'll be most pivotal uh, by the end of Sunday's game. Uh, well, I think it's going to be a game of kind of uh, in the trenches. I think both teams are going to be kind of trying to play a similar style where they're trying to run the ball on offense and stop the run on defense. And, and so I think it's a game of the trenches. And, and you see guys like the the Brandon Sheriff Fletcher Cox matchup has always been fun to watch over the years. Um, and uh, the interior uh, defenders kind of trying to stop the run and um, and the interior blockers trying to create lanes. I think those will be the, the matchups to watch this week. Make sure you go check out Mark's work, uh, whether you follow him on Twitter at Mark Bullock NFL or uh, check out his Substack. I would largely, largely uh, encourage everybody to go make sure you subscribe to that. MarkBullock.substack.com. Mark, thanks so much for joining us here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, and we will talk to you again soon. Uh, of course, anytime. Well, great stuff there from Mark, and that'll be almost all of the analysis we have in this show, because as always, we're going to wrap up this late episode of the week with some of the leftover bites from John Clark, Ike Reese, Mike Quick, and Greg Cosell that, due to some time constraints, I couldn't squeeze into the 30-minute show of Eagles game plan. We shot a lot extra uh, this week, especially with Coach Sirianni on the program. So with that, let's get into uh, some of the leftover bites from those guys here from Eagles game plan. You know, they're getting really good at understanding the personnel, and that really helps in his play calling. He's going to attack teams because he can. When you've got Darius Slay on the outside and he can lock a guy up, those other pieces on the chessboard, it allows you to do so many things with those guys. So now Jonathan Gannon can really open up his playbook and start to do a lot of different things to, as Ike said, confuse guys that are quarterback in the offense. And when you saw what Dallas's defensive front did to Taylor Heineke in Washington's offense, uh, they got them to make mistakes. Yeah. Eagles defensive line only has 19 and a half sacks. Is this December run time for them to get after the quarterback more? Well, I think they have to get after the quarterback. When you watch that game, I think it was a blueprint for what you can do to really disrupt what the Washington football team likes to do defensively. You have to break down the protection. You have to beat those guys at the line of scrimmage. 
Their best offensive lineman, Brandon Sheriff, he's not having that Pro Bowl type of season. There are spots on that offensive line where you can get to the quarterback, where you can create a lot of problems and confusion. And obviously, Terry McLaurin's coming off a concussion, but man, does he have speed. Would you like to be able to see Slay, big play Slay, manned up on him? Oh, there's no doubt about it. Two, following number 17 around, yep. I would expect to see that in this game plan if Terry McLaurin is able to go. We know he's one of the better young wide receivers in all of football, and we know how big play Slay never turns down a challenge. So this is an opportunity to go out there and prove he's one of the best, if not the best, man-to-man coverage cornerback in the league. The Philadelphia Eagles have a very difficult challenge facing the Washington football team defense. And you can go back to week 10. That's when Washington began a four-game winning streak that ended this past week. But the defense beginning week 10 against Tampa has been outstanding. And they made a couple of changes beginning with that week 10 game. You started to see a lot more zone defense. They'd been very man-heavy prior to that. Now they are very zone-heavy with not a lot of man coverage. They will also line up in what we call big nickel with three safeties. That's been a foundational tactic that they've been using the last five games. But really where it all starts with the Washington football team is up front. So Washington, they're good against the run. They're also very good in the red zone, especially the last month, holding teams to field goals. And they also play more zone defense than any team in the NFL over this last month. So Mike Quick, how do you beat that Washington zone? Well, every zone, there are soft spots in it. And you have to be able to find those soft spots. You have to bring your zone beaters to the game. And the Eagles have several zone beaters. But also, keep in mind, Washington will start three rookies. And with all the multiplicity of this Eagles offense, you're going to have those guys scratching their heads because they do so many things well. And if the Eagles are able to run the ball effectively, it really doesn't matter what they do on the other side because they're going to be able to throw the football versus their zone versus their men. But you always want to, in zone, put some defender in conflict and work off of that conflict. Yeah, and I love the fact that the Eagles are coming off a of bye week. And yes, the running game is going to be what drives this offense, I believe. But the fact that they could have added things to the passing game that may be new to Washington, I'm excited to see that as well. You always got to add new wrinkles to the passing game late in the season. And be sure to check out all of Eagles game plan. It goes up digitally on Friday across all Eagles digital channels. Or if you live here in the Philadelphia area, check out NBC 10 at 10 a.m. Uh, on Sunday morning before the game. Best way to get you ready for Eagles Washington. Great stuff from everybody on today's show. Thanks to all of them. And thanks to you as well out there for all of your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcasts here with Eagles Entertainment. That being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the NovaCare Complex, I am Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week. When the clock hits all zeros, the game might be over, but the action is not. Join us for the post-game show presented by Rico for instant reaction. Watch live as Coach Nick Sirianni and Eagles players come to the podium and meet with the media. We will make sure you do not miss a word. Myself, Ike Reese, and Gabriella DiGiovanni will also break down the game live at the desk and hear from Eagles insider Dave Spadaro to get his thoughts. The post-game show presented by Rico can be seen on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, and the team's social media channels.